Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. And for him, he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Father, we thank you for giving us Jesus, who is the living word. We thank you for giving us the written word that reveals Jesus to us. And we pray now that your spirit would teach us and make us more like him. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to invite everyone to do something as an exercise as we start and I would invite you to close your eyes. You don't have to close your eyes. But take a deep breath. Breathe in real deeply. Now breathe out. Now imagine that right now all of your relationships are perfectly reconciled. You're at peace with everyone. Secondly, imagine that all of your work is finished and your bills are paid. Next, imagine that all of your illnesses, diseases, difficulties are completely healed. Finally, imagine that all of the fears and anxieties that you have are gone. Okay. Were you able to get there? Some people okay. Other people not all the way. I invite you back in. Invite you back in here. That is shalom. Right? Whether or not you could mentally go there, that is this flourishing, this fullness that we see was present in the beginning, the way that God designed everything as very good was in this place of shalom. And that peace, that wholeness, that fullness, that completion, everything in right place, nothing out of order, nothing missing. That's the way that God designed the world. And we've been considering This picture that we get of Shalom, particularly from Genesis at the very beginning of Scripture. And we've looked at a picture the last few weeks, which is these four relationships. God's put us in these four relationships that initially are perfect, are perfectly at peace, perfectly unified. This relationship with God, with other people, with creation itself, and with our own self. And this morning we're going to look at the bottom on that picture which is our relationship with creation and this this wholeness, this shalom, 
this fullness that God designed for that to have. So as we, as we think about this, this morning, we're going to consider that there are two ways, really, that the Bible shows us that we can live. There's the initial way of shalom, of life, of flourishing, and we're presented this in the beginning as the way of creation, the way of receiving and giving. And so if you've been here for the last several weeks, this is familiar to you by now. If you're not, uh, this is the way that God designed us to live. It's receiving everything from God initially. He's the provider of all. And then out of what God gives to us, we then give to others, to creation, ultimately as an expression of worship to God. That's the way that life works. There's this other way that we see entering the scene, which is the way of the world. We've said that God created the world, or the earth. God created the earth, but humanity created the world. And that's the way that the scripture uses that term, the world. It's, it's a context where the way of God is rejected. And there's this other way, which is the way of taking and keeping. And for the last few weeks, we've looked at particular scriptures in Genesis where beginning with Eve, with the fruit, there's this taking for the self. We saw last week the taking of wives, the taking of people. There's this taking for the self. And at the core, what it is is a rejection of God and his way of receiving, which always has a patience that's tied with it. But there's this impulsive, appetite-driven taking for the self that is described as this way of death entering into creation. And so we're going we're to consider that as it pertains to creation and our relationship with creation this morning. Uh, but to kind of zero in on the way of giving and receiving this way of life, at the beginning, and, and by the way, let me just give a heads up. This sermon will be different than typical. I've kind of set it up different. There are a whole lot of slides, and so I am thankful for Kim. And so pray for her carpal tunnel that's probably flaring up right now because she had a lot to enter this morning. But hopefully you'll hang with me, and who knows? We may or may not do this again. But the way that we see of giving receiving is first that God gives. God gives first. He gives life itself. He gives community. And so in the garden, the first expression of community or relationships with other people is between a husband and a wife, but he gives these relationships and he gives creation itself. So the land and the plants and the animals and everything that exists as the rest of creation is a gift from God. And the calling that God gives with the rest of creation for the man and the woman is this ruling and this working. These are the responsibilities that he has given. So out of that, humanity, people, which begins with the man and woman, give our worship to God, our cooperation with one another. And so there's this partnership that God's given between the man. There's, there's a way that they partner together for new life, for multiplying and having children. And there's also a way they partner together for this task of ruling creation. They cooperate together. And then humanity gives. So we give our cooperation to one another. And then we give our capacity to rule to creation. And so we have these things called brains that have imagination. 
And we have the ability of creativity. So we can imagine things that don't exist. And then we can bring them into existence. But there's this communication gift that we have so that we can involve others in this task. But this is a capacity to build stuff, to take things that don't exist and bring them into existence through our own creativity. And so we are called to give that unique capacity that humans give to work with animals, to work with the elements of creation, all of this to come together to bring glory to God. Now, creation, so God gives, humanity gives in their own particular way, but then creation gives as well. We see creation gives food, so nourishment. On day one, there's fruit, there's, there's nutrition that provides life, and it gives it initially freely and fully. There's a home or an environment. And so you think about where do birds live? They live in a nest, right? And that comes from trees, these other aspects of creation. In some way, we're the same. We have these things called homes, which is where a lot of our relationships take place. But they're just elements of creation that we've put together in a way that establishes our relationship. So this environment for these relationships and for all that God's called us to is, comes out of the earth. And that's the resources as well, all the work that gets done in one way or another, that may be music and you have these notes and sounds that exist or technology or raw materials like rock and stone and all of these things, all of the resources for work come out of the ground and creation gives in that way. So God gives, humanity, people give, and then creation itself gives. And in that context, that's shalom. That's wholeness, that's fullness, that's the way that God has put things together. Now, as we said, it doesn't stay this way. And so into this receiving and giving, we find taking and keeping entering the scene. And fundamentally, this begins not with God or with creation, but with people, with humanity, because we reject God. We reject his way of receiving and giving, and instead we take from creation for ourselves, and what this does, because of the unique authority that humanity has, the, the word that is used for humanity is, is, is a word that would be tied to being a king in other contexts. And so there's this unique authority where when humanity goes this way, everything under them goes with them. And so because of this unique role of authority that God's given it corrupts, it twists creation underneath us. And so now creation itself takes, and we see examples of this. So this is the curse that we are presented in Genesis chapter three, that life that God has originally given, new life will not be given painlessly. So I will intensify your labor pains, you will bear children with painful effort. So it used to be life, new life comes naturally, painlessly, but now there's this element of taking. There's this refusal to give in certain ways. Then there's the scene. Community. So cooperation with one another will not be given freely. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And this is this, is this competition in place of cooperation. It's each, the husband and the wife, taking in one way. And this dominance that is ultimately played out, not in a way of cooperating, uh, that that. The man and the woman each use their unique abilities and gifts collectively, 
but now it becomes this competition, this division, and then creation. Food itself, and this is kind of odd for us to think about, but will not be given freely. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by the means of painful labor all the days of your life. So what now is involved in working to get food out of the ground? Painful labor, right? So there's this way in which there's this struggle, this toil, this sweat that's required to get this food that initially came freely, was given out of the earth. And it will produce thorns and thistles. And these, we've seen, are expressions of taking. Thorns and thistles don't give fruit. They simply take moisture. They take nutrients, right? They, they, they are this visible expression of taking in the earth itself. And then ultimately the expression of taking when it comes to creation is, for you are dust and you are returned to dust. So after this life of working and struggling, you will eventually return to the earth. The earth will take you back into itself. And so this is the way that that the corruption of everything, the curse has influenced and affected everything. And this is from sin, right? The way that God has created Shalom has now de-raveled, unraveled, destructed, whatever you call it into this this corruption. And so what we find when Jesus comes on the scene deals exactly with these problems. Just as sin has come and has messed everything up at every level, Jesus comes in and he demonstrates an entirely different way. His relationship with creation returns to the way we see at the beginning. When Jesus speaks, what do the elements of creation do? They listen to his voice. So the wind and the waves, when Jesus says, peace, be still, they obey. When Jesus, we see that people are fed abundantly. So in the miracles of Jesus, often people are fed. And is anyone ever left out? So the bread is multiplied abundantly beyond what is needed. The wine is abundantly better and beyond what is needed. There's this abundance that's given. So part of the, the responsibility of creation, the ground, is to give life, to give food, to give sustenance. And in the miracles of Jesus, that's happening more than is needed, right? And it's this return again to God's plan. And then people are healed fully. So the people who encounter Jesus, who have pain, who have disease, all of these elements of the curse are healed from them. And so Jesus gives this return to God's design for shalom with creation. And in Jesus, ultimately, giving overcomes taking. This way of God, this way of life of receiving and giving overcomes the way of taking and keeping that leads to death. Jesus ultimately gives love to those who reject him. So rejection, which comes right at the beginning of Genesis. We see Cain and Abel and this whole element of rejection. Has, does rejection cause problems in our own relationships? It does. So much of, of pain and struggle comes out of this in different ways. And this rejection is what Jesus experiences from his own people at various levels. Even one of the people who was closest to him, Judas, Think about this, takes money in exchange for Jesus. There's this rejection 
that Jesus experiences. But what we see is his love overcomes. He gives love to those who reject him. Jesus gives his life for the very people who take it. As the Roman soldiers are nailing him to the cross. What does he say? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. This forgiveness that is offered to the very people who are taking his life. You think about the give in forgiveness to the takers of his life. There's this overcoming. And then he gives freedom ultimately from the curse by taking it into himself. This is the only way Jesus embraces into the taking. And if we had about an hour, I would walk all the ways that the crucifixion shows each of these elements of the curse. The simplest one is the thorns, the crown of thorns that he takes onto his head. But there's all of these elements that are displayed in the curse in Genesis that Jesus is taking into himself on the cross to take them into the grave so that they could be overcome and left there. So that now there can become this this freedom ultimately from the curse itself that is provided through Jesus. He gives resurrection where there had been death. And so to go to our Colossians passage... There's a parallel. So the first portion of this scripture, if you look in your Bibles, is about creation. And it's Jesus' role as Lord over creation. And then the second, there's a parallel, which is his role as Lord over new creation. And and this resurrection that comes. And so there's these parallels. So so first, we see that, that Jesus is the firstborn over what? Creation. And we see this. And that term firstborn is like, it's like king. It's like Lord. He's superior. He's preeminent over every aspect of creation itself. The parallel with this is he's the firstborn from the dead. And, and there's a lot to this. But basically, his resurrection, just consider this, is the beginning of the new creation. The resurrected body of Jesus is the beginning of the new creation. And so he is Lord of this new resurrected creation to come. He's superior in these ways. And so what we're going to find is the old creation, the problem with it was death, is overcome now by Jesus in this new creation that will be set free from death. So that's the first element. He gives resurrection where there had been death. He gives reconciliation with God where there had been separation. So everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. And yet, because of sin, there is this separation from God that happens because sinful people sin before a holy God. We reject him, and there is this, this real separation from him in our sin. And because he's the source of life, there's a separation that is ultimately death. And yet, what we find is that the so this comes into creation, and yet the, the repair of this is for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to what? Reconcile everything to himself. So if you have had a fight with somebody, and you have a separation in your relationship, but then you ultimately have come back together, you have reconciled you've come back together you've you've come back to this place of unification this is the separation between all of creation and, and humanity from god is there and so what jesus brings about through the cross is this reconciliation this bringing back together third he brings peace 
where there had been disruption. So verse 17, he is before all things and by him all things hold together. And so that would describe a condition of peace in creation. So everything is held together, right? It's unified in this way. Through who? Jesus. That's always the right answer, right? You should have learned that as a kid in Sunday school. It's always the right answer. Jesus, he holds all these things together. And yet the problem comes in this disruption of all these things. And so we find he makes peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus brings this peace. And it's fundamentally a peace with God. But then it extends out to these elements. Because this is where I think the gospel is bigger in the scriptures than what we often think. Because it's not just about people. Now it starts in that way. But ultimately what is it that that Jesus is, is giving his blood to reconcile? Everything in heaven and on earth. Right? So what's excluded there? Nothing, right? And so this fullness of, of the gospel really is summarized as Jesus is Lord. And there's some places where Paul drives that. Because the true good news is that Jesus really is Lord of heaven and of earth. This is, this is the reality. And, and someday everybody is going to proclaim, whether they've accepted it or rejected it in life, the true reality. Right? Jesus really is Lord. But... The way that this this comes out is is a display. Okay. Sorry, catch my breath here. So there is a heavenly reality that exists. It's true. Is it recognized or experienced on earth? No. By some, right? Those who have seen this is true and we know it, but there's a reality that it's not, it's not entirely recognized or experienced and and for all of us in some ways, that's the case. And so the heavenly reality of God is invisible in the terms that Paul would utilize. It's, God is invisible. You can't see the fullness of God and yet he, Jesus is the image of of the invisible God. So he displays in his body, in matter, earth stuff, if you will, what is invisible from an earthly standpoint. And now we see that the church, so he is, verse 18, the head of the body of the church, Jesus now is in heaven, as we said with our Apostles' Creed earlier. And yet the church is to be the revelation of Jesus' presence as his body on earth. And this is this is our calling. Like to like ultimately Jesus is Lord. And yet that's not seen or experienced. And the church is to be a demonstration of that with our bodies, with our lives, so that people can see the visibility of what is ultimately invisible in Jesus. And the truth is, and it is that Jesus is enthroned above all principalities and powers. He talks about thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And again, we could walk through that. But that's every level of authority and power that exists. The truth is, when Jesus rose from the dead, was ascended to this place of authority in heaven, 
all power is under him. That's reality. There is no power above him. Now, we are called to be those who display that truth. And so here's, here's what that looks like. We serve Jesus. Period. Now, there are other powers and realities that exist at some level, but we see them as being under Jesus. And so we do not serve them in the way that the world does. We don't fear them in the way that the world does. So here's what, let me, one of the things that I've thought about a lot this week, a lot of conversations and things that I've considered. In a, in a lot of different ways, the message that I've needed to remind myself of is that I have Jesus and that means I have everything that I need. So play that out however you want. I don't, the word need in the ultimate sense, I don't need anything else. Does that make sense? From the heavenly standpoint, I have, in Christ, I have everything that I need. Now, I have to live that out more and more. So there can be other things that are good that I can enjoy and that I can experience or whatever that is. But my feelings are what get in the way of that being a reality. So I feel, I feel or I don't feel certain things. And that can become my reality. Does anyone else experience this? Something's true because I feel like it's true. Or it's not because I don't feel like Have you ever had a, you know, Valentine's Day this last week? Spouse, have you ever had a conversation with your spouse and you were just on different planes, like, and you were convinced, no, this is reality, like, this is true, and they're convinced. Have you ever explained yourself back into a good relationship? Has your spouse ever gone, you know what, that makes total sense, I've been believing a lie. I'm just curious, if any, I mean, I'm legitimately interested, I'd love to know if anybody's ever had that, I'm over for a thousand but the feeling, but that's so intertwined in how we, but so what we have to do is discipline our feelings at one level with, with what's true. And Paul, by the way, the imagination is a lot. So Paul is describing heavenly realities. This is what he does a lot. And he says, these things exist. There's these incredible realities that exist. And I'm praying for you that God would give you this spirit of revelation to see to experience what's ultimately true. It's ultimately true whether they see it or not. But the desire is to come to see this more clearly in different ways. And so this is these heavenly realities. This is, this is what I'm going for in my life and I hope in, in our church. To see what is ultimately real as scripture presents it. As what's being more real than how things feel or appear. Does that make sense? Because things can feel or appear one way, and yet what the scripture tells us is in Christ, there's a whole different reality, and when Jesus comes back, that full reality's coming with him. That will overtake 
ultimate, like, so it feels like, like even scientifically, it feels like and appears like everything moves towards death, right? Like if you look at a lot of it, you could see that. I'm saying there's a reality that's greater than that. That the resurrected Jesus tells me that somehow there's a greater reality that's going to overtake all of that. <laughs> that so, we're going to see, no, you, we, things really do move from death to life. And, and there's, a fuller, there's a fuller reality that I think is actually going to play out in a real way. And so, so this is how we show the world. And, and the, it comes down to our work because our relationship with creation in Scripture is tied to our work. And that's not just what we get a paycheck for. That's parenting kids. That's serving in different ways. Serving in the church and, and all of the things that we do. And there are all of these what Paul describes, there are all of these authorities that you can work for. And if they're your ultimate authority, you fear them in different, in different ways. Or you work for worldly things in different ways. That's what you work for. That's what, that's what you're motivated by. And the church, the body of Christ, is to be a demonstration that there are greater realities so here's what this means. If, if we live the way Jesus calls us to actually live, in this world, we will be crucified like he was. In, in one way or another. That's how it, because this world, the world of taking and keeping, when you enter into it in a way of giving and receiving, and in various ways you end up being taken. Right? And Jesus says... In this world, you're going to face these difficulties and these realities. They persecuted me, they'll persecute you. But take heart, I've overcome the world, right? So, so if we believe that, and Paul says, he says, if the resurrection of Jesus is not true, then us Christians are the people most to be pitied. Because we're living in a way that doesn't jive with the world. And if it's only this life right here, then we are to be pitied, man, because we're doing it in a terrible way. It doesn't, it, it doesn't fit with the world system. The only reason, Paul says, we're not insane in following Jesus and living in this way of love and giving and receiving is if we believe there's a greater reality to come. Does that make sense? But the evidence of that greater reality to come is when people take stuff from us and we're like, you can take it, but it does, that's not where my life is. Do we see that? And they're like, what do you mean? This is like, like these pleasures, these possessions, like this is, this is where life is. And we go, no, that's counterfeit. What's really valuable is something that I can't lose because Jesus is, is ultimately what's valuable. And says that I, so, okay. So if this is real, we are a demonstration of that. The church is to be a demonstration of that in what we work for, in how we live with one another in our relationships, and in how we engage in our work with the rest of creation. And so how this plays out, Paul's going to go a long way in this letter, but he's going to bring it to this point in chapter 3. The band can go ahead and come up, by the way. So here's how this plays out. Therefore... As God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. So that's, that's this reality. Put on compassion, kindness, 
humility, gentleness, and patience. Does that way make sense in the way of the world, living that way? No, you get slaughtered. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So if reality is the Lord's forgiven you in Christ for all of your sins, then forgive one another. Display that in how you forgive one another. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, the shalom, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Do we always, if we're in Christ, do we always have reason to be grateful and thankful? We do. Do we have reason to sing? We do. And whatever you do, in word or deed, what's excluded there? Nothing. So this is whatever you do. So whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the name is tied to the authority of Jesus. So everything that we do, whatever it is, when we're working with our family, whatever we do, we do it for Jesus. Does that change how we see things? Giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here's what I'm, we're gonna move into a time of communion. And the call that I want for us, first off, if you've, if you've never actually received Christ, received the forgiveness and the reconciliation and the gift of righteousness, that God offers you through him. That's, that's the call. For as many who received him, he gave them the right to be the children of God. And so that would be my call for you. And it's simply trusting in Jesus and his life and his death and resurrection to pay for your sins and to bring you peace with God. We'll be in the prayer room after this. If you want to talk about that or anything else or pray for anything else, we'd love to talk with you then. But... If you didn't receive the elements and you want to take the supper, just raise your hand. Our deacons are coming around. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.